What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Riding the Pine. Jack Ryden are back with you all today, and as always, we have another awesome episode in store for everyone at home, but before we get into all of that, let's take a little dive into the last episode. I was joined by a tremendous guest from the college football world, current Coastal Carolina football player, Josiah Stewart. Josiah and I got into his career in football and what it was like having his senior year of high school football canceled due to COVID and how that affected his recruitment in college, what it was like having a tremendous and his historic season last year as a freshman and so much more. So if you want to hear a little bit about Josiah's career and about Coastal Carolina football, go check out episode 244 and all 244 episodes that are out now on all podcast platforms. Now getting into today, we're going to be back with the baseball talk and with another guest from the minor leagues. Current Reno Aces minor leaguer playing in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization, Blake Workman. Blake and I get into his career starting out collegiately at Cal State Fullerton and what it was like making an appearance in the College World Series, the moment that he was drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks and what that was like for him, how the season has been in his first year playing AAA baseball and how it is with him being so close to being in the MLB and so much more. So if you want to hear a little bit about the Aces season as well as Blake Workman's career, don't go anywhere, folks, because here comes Mr. Workman. So with that, folks, let's make our way into our show for today. So as always, be sure to find your favorite seat here on the bench with me. Sit back, relax and enjoy the show. And I'm here with current minor leaguer for the Reno Aces, Blake Workman. Blake, great to get you on the show today, my friend. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, my friend. Well, hey, listen, I appreciate you hopping on. I know you're probably very busy getting towards the end of the season. How's the year been overall, would you say, for yourself and then also the team as well? Uh, it's been a very, very productive year. I will say there's been a lot of progress on in my on my end, in my opinion. And then I think the Diamondbacks in general have a fantastic farm system that's moved in the right direction a lot this year. Like we got a lot of promising young talent and a lot of guys pulling the same direction. So can't ever go wrong with that. No, cannot ever go wrong with that. And, and I think we're starting to see also the importance of farm systems, especially with teams like how the Orioles have been. They're starting to see, you know, kind of reaping the benefits of all that, you know, investment into their minor leagues. But I noticed that you've also made a little bit of a transition during the year going from double A to triple A. How has that transition and adjustment been for you? And what were kind of some of the biggest differences you noticed going from double A to triple A? It's been very interesting. I will say, um, I kind of did this a little bit last year. I made a jump from high A to double A and had some immediate success. And then the hitters figure it out uh, as good hitters do. They start to kind of adjust a little bit. And then I have to reevaluate where I am and make some adjustments of my own. So, um, from double A to triple A, I had some early success and then some not so great success. Uh, <laughs> but since then I've made the adjustments I think are appropriate. Got really lucky with my coaches and helping me out and pointing me kind of in the right direction. So that's been a I think a pretty good transition now just to kind of put the finishing touches on it and finish out the season. Well, um, double A to triple A is a big difference. Uh, I was, I was told that it wasn't, um, a fantastic change of uh, skill level, but I, I disagree. I think the hitters, especially from double A to triple A are quite, quite a bit better. And then, um, the additional curveball, if you will, of the automatic strike zone is making things a little interesting. So we have um, did not have that in double A. We had a traditional umpire calling balls and strikes. And then when I got here, kind of getting a feel for what uh, the new strike zone is, because it's not what you would call traditional in any sense. So that has been a bit of a transition, but getting used to it. And I, I think it's better for baseball in the long run. So. 
Well, I'm glad you, you, you discussed that and you bring that up because I've, I was very fascinated when all the rule changes were kind of starting to get put in place a few years ago. So what, I mean, what, what does it kind of look like in terms of just the automatic strikes? And I mean, how does this set up? I mean, what, I mean, what does it kind of entail just because for me, I'm looking at it and saying, okay, what is there kind of like um, almost like a speed camera? If you've seen those for traffic and controlling traffic, I, I picture kind of one of those just parked right behind home plate. I mean, what is it, what does it look like? So for us, it actually doesn't look any different. We don't, um, I couldn't even tell you where it is in the ballpark. I'm not entirely sure, but I know the technology is roughly based on TrackMan. So when we have, we use TrackMan in the bullpen all the time. And then if we do stuff in spring training, we have it, the little portable ones right behind. So I know the technology looks almost like a giant iPad with a pad on the front. And um, to us, it just looks like a black box, but it picks up spin movement where the pitch is in the zone. It picks up any metric you can think of. And it's really accurate. So they started using that. And I will say visually, it doesn't make a big difference. Like I said, you can't see it or anything, but the strike zone is significantly different. So all of a sudden things like the catcher framing pitches, that is irrelevant because it has nothing to do with the perception of the umpire and the pitch. It has all to do with where it is on that little box. So um, that's been a big difference. And I would say it's more consistent than a, you know, a human being because a human's going to make an error or two, but it's also different because over the years, you know, as a pitcher, as a baseball player, you get used to those human errors. And so things that you would ordinarily get in a strike zone or what you'd come to expect, none of that is true anymore. And none of it is fair game. So we've had some pitches. I mean, I had a strikeout my second to last outing where I missed my spot completely. And it looked like there was no way that was ever even in a million years going to get called a strike. And he got punched out on that pitch. And even the hitter turned around and just kind of looked at the umpire and said, what the heck are we doing here? So that kind of stuff is a little bit different and makes the game slightly different, but I don't know. I, I, um, I, I'll be honest. I think the technology isn't quite there yet because like I said, visually there's some things where we kind of see go, Oh, I don't know about that. That's, that's not what we would call baseball. So I think we're almost there as far as the, the automatic strike zone and all that jazz, but I don't think we've quite gotten it. Yeah. I mean, I remember when that was all coming out and, and to your point about the framing of, of pitches and whatnot, and just a pitcher being able to kind of play into what that umpire is calling that day, whether it's a little bit high, a little bit low, a little bit outside, whatever it might be, that is completely eliminated from the equation. Right. And that I think kind of forces you to really be even more accurate. And, you know, again, it kind of, in, in the end, it, it births something totally different for baseball, which I think is, again, a, a very good thing. And I think it's going to go in a good direction. But Blake, I want to get into your career and dive in a little bit about, you know, you and then get on our way to where you are today. You started your career out collegiately at Cal State Fullerton. I want to hear what made you want to go to Cal State Fullerton. Yeah, so um, actually, I, so I'm from San Diego. I grew up there and from the time I was about six months old until uh, the end of high school. And so when I was looking at colleges, I really wanted to stay kind of close to home. I didn't want to be necessarily in San Diego, but I didn't want to be, you know, in a completely other state or across the country or anything crazy like that. I wanted to be close enough to my support system that it wasn't ever going to be a problem. And so I was sort of looking in Southern California, maybe Arizona, um, kind of feeling out my options and seeing where things went. And actually, it's a funny story because um, San Diego State had offered me a scholarship and I had decided during the school day that day that I was going to call after school and commit. And that was where I was going to go. Um, but I had always had a spot in my heart for, I, I really liked Long Beach state Fullerton and Irvine. And those three schools were kind of, I'd always, you know, grown up hearing about them and how much of a powerhouse they were. I truthfully didn't know a ton about Fullerton at the time. That was actually the third school on that list. But um, as I said, I was getting ready to commit after school and the pitching coach from Fullerton called me at lunch 
and completely made me reevaluate everything because even though I didn't necessarily know enough about the program yet or the kind of tradition and all of that that goes into Fullerton, the pitching coach, uh, Jason Dietrich, hooked me on the spot. Just his mentality and his approach to pitching and what he said he could teach me and offer me, I was I was bought in right away. I mean, I think I made that decision. I reversed my first decision and went the other direction inside of a couple hours. He just, he got me. He told me everything I was looking for in a college coach. I wanted to grow my skill set and I wanted to learn from the best and compete with the best. And that's what he told me I was going to get there. So um, I didn't commit quite yet uh, to Fullerton, but I did kind of tell everyone else, hey, I'm, I'm not decided yet. I need a little more time. And then I went up and saw the school and then I got a little bit more about kind of the history of the program and the brotherhood involved. And that was it for me. I was sold. That's, and I've held on to that brotherhood, if you will, for five years since then. It's actually funny you bring it up. Um, Chad Wallach is on the team we're playing right now. who is also a Fullerton alumni. And even though we never played together, I went up to him after the game and introduced myself. And it was, it was like we were all friends because once you go through that program, it, it's one of those weird things where everyone sticks together, no matter whether you know each other or not. Yeah. And I think on top of it, just the the storied program that Cal State Fullerton has had over the years in baseball as well. But what a cool kind of, you know, story, almost a, you know, a, a kind of a, a fork in the road or, or, or if you, you know, a little bit of a, you know, crossroads, if you will, if that call does not happen during lunchtime, maybe you don't, you know, do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about, Hey, yeah. <laughs> what would have happened if I had gone to San Diego state? Yeah, all the time. And I actually give uh, Dietrich some, some a hard time every now and again when I talk to him. I said, well, if you'd have waited a couple more hours, we may not be on the phone right now. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it it's funny how long. things. Yeah, it's funny how things kind of work out like that, you know, and I think it obviously, you know, helped you out in your career in the long run. And I want to get into your career at Cal State Fullerton because one special year for you guys, 2017, making to the College World Series. I know that you had some incredible performances on the mound as well. But what was it about that team and just that entire season that made it so special making it all the way to the World Series? It's kind of actually just what I was talking about with that brotherhood. We were not the most talented team in the country. Not even, I wouldn't even put us in the top 25 on paper. Um, but we were really talented the year prior and we didn't even make it out of a regional. And so my sophomore year in 2017, we knew we had to lean into something other than talent. It couldn't just be about going out there and rolling over every team. And we proved it because I think we started off 0-7. So we got smacked in the teeth pretty good right off the get-go. But that was what happened is we faced some adversity and we had to figure out how to respond to it. And that team is probably the single greatest group of guys I've ever had the pleasure of playing with because there was no selfishness involved in that whatsoever. No matter who was playing, who was pitching, who was hitting, everybody was pulling for each other. Everyone was up on the fence screaming for each other. It was a brotherhood. It was one of those things that we could have taken any one of we, we joked about it all the time. You know, who would you take down a dark alley with you and know that they had your back? And there wasn't a person on that team that didn't feel that way about everybody. We were just really, really close knit. And I think a lot of that had to do with um, our fall that year. Our head coach ripped us pretty dang good the whole fall. We did a ton of conditioning and a ton of not so pleasant activities that uh, forced us to come together. And so when we did kind of come together and then we hit a little bit of a stride as far as the uh, performance went, it just took off. And then next thing you knew, we looked up and we were in the playoffs and taking it one game at a time. So when during that year did you guys start to feel like a college world series run was possible and it wasn't kind of out of the realm of possibility. So I will say uh, Fullerton preaches never putting it outside the realm of possibility. We, um, we, the, the joke is that we're Cal state Omaha. I mean, we've been a lot over the years of the program. And so it's always the goal, no matter we're having a good season, a bad season or in between. So that was always on the radar, but I would say we didn't really think it a real possibility until about halfway through our conference run. And even then it was a little shaky because uh, we didn't even win conference that year, which was abnormal for us. 
But Longview State was phenomenal that season, and they kicked the crap out of us all the way up until it mattered. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, you know, I think that, you know, being able to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, you know what, this is a time where we can, again, kind of similar to back when you were getting your phone call during lunchtime to go to Cal State Fullerton, that crossroads, you know, that kind of fork and mm-hmm. road, like you said, you start the year 0-7. You guys could have gone one of two ways. You could have continued on that that trail of going 0-7, or you guys could have gone the way which you did go that way of making something out of it and going to the to the College World Series. Now, I know during your your time at Cal State Fullerton, during some summers, you'd play summer ball, and, and there was one summer that you didn't. So, I want to hear, you know, what was it about summer ball? I I mean, how much of an impact did that have on your career in college? But then also, did you ever notice a difference between how you would perform the following year after summer ball versus when you didn't have summer ball? Absolutely. Um, so my first, I would say like my incoming freshman year, right before I actually showed up to school, we didn't, I didn't personally play summer ball. We kind of had a weird year where our team went to Korea. And so I, we did that for two weeks. And then when we came back, there wasn't really enough time to ship out to summer ball or anything. So they kind of just said, Hey, go home, relax. And then when you show up, we'll figure it out from there. So I did my first year and then my post. Um, so between my freshman and sophomore year, that was when I played summer ball. And I'm not going to lie to you. I had no desire to go across the country and play for a team that I didn't know. And a bunch of guys I didn't know and miss my entire summer did not sound fun to me. Still doesn't sound fun to me, but I had to. So we made the best of it, um, got out there and actually made some incredible friends and some lifelong family friends. Uh, I still talk to my host parents from when I was out there. But um, what shocked me is the actual improvements I made on the field during summer ball, because it's sort of, um, if you will, it's kind of that professional baseball feel to it. It's not where your coaches are breathing down your neck, making sure you do your work. It's very you do what you need to make sure you get your work in kind of thing. And so there's a lot of freedom there. And some guys do well in that. Some guys don't. I think I did. Oh, well, I think I did okay in that. Um, definitely could have done some stuff better, but funny enough, I actually found my stupid mechanics in summer ball that year um, because our mound was so bad. I couldn't figure out how to get leverage. So I had to kind of modify my delivery. I've been using that same stupid set of mechanics since then. So I, that, that's where I put all of my, uh, all my eggs are from that one summer ball where I all of a sudden just said, you know what, I got to figure out how to pitch here. So let's try this and see what happens. And so that's where the very unorthodox delivery comes from, actually. <laughs> um, well, hey, this, you know, that, yeah, big thanks to Summer Bowl, right? Yeah, no kidding. And, and apparently great thanks to a community mound with two gigantic holes in it because it worked out. <laughs> but um, and then so my between my sophomore and junior year was uh, the post college World Series and everything did not go to Summer Bowl because I had racked up too many innings that year. And I will say it took me a while to get things going again that following fall. So the beginning of my junior year, my velo was down because I hadn't pitched in a while. Everything was kind of out of whack. We were in a weird transitional phase as a team. So it was, I will say, I kind of wish I'd gotten a few innings that summer because I feel like it would have aided in my um, bounce back a little more. Yeah, I've always felt that guys that are able to get away for, you know, maybe a 60 game season or 70 game or however long it might be 40 game, even being able to kind of stay in that rhythm a little bit. And to your point, keeps you in that kind of mode, if you will. And you're you're never sitting back and just relaxing, if you will. But it was obvious that you'd probably need a little bit of a break after, you know, you're playing baseball to what the middle of June or whatever. I mean, that's that's a lot of baseball, uh, especially at the collegiate level. Um, But I know after collegiate career very exciting moment for you as you get drafted into the MLB. What was that whole process like for you? And just what was that day like for you finding out that you'd been drafted to the MLB? It was awesome. Um, one of those things I'm never going to forget. It was not quite what I had envisioned in my head because we were still practicing. So uh, I was out on the field and we had several guys who knew that there was a possibility they'd get drafted that summer. 
<clears throat> excuse me. And so our coach was very adamant. He said, I don't want you on your phones. I don't want you thinking about that. There's nothing you can do to change it right now. So all I want you to focus on is being out here playing practice and getting ready for the playoffs. And so we actually all gave our phones to our assistant coach who sat up in the office and was overlooking everything. And he'd have all of our phones in a line. And when someone would ring, he'd pick it up, run it down to us. And so we'd have to, you know, talk to the scouts or whoever was trying to get in contact with us. So it was kind of this, uh, crazy game of who's getting the call. Cause all of a sudden we see our coach come running down and we're like, Oh, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And so, um, I didn't even, I, I, no, wait, I'm sorry. I got one phone call prior to practice that day. Um, from actually the scout who ended up drafting me, uh, funny story. It's Gary Templeton jr. Who was my coach when I was nine or 10 years old in travel ball. And so we kind of reconnected in college when he came up to me and said, Hey, I'm a scout now with the diamondbacks. It's great to see you. And he didn't tell me he was there to look at me, but I was kind of in the back of my head. I'm like, just check me out. You should see what I got. Maybe you like it. Um, and I had no idea what was going on, obviously, that he did like me and was and was kind of passing my name along. But um, so he called me before practice and asked me, hey, we want to sign you. What's it going to take? And um, at that point, I was a little frustrated with the whole process because I'd gotten a couple of, hey, we're going to take you. And then nothing happened. And so I thought, I'm like, oh, here's another one. They're not going to actually draft me. They're just putting me on the board to see what would happen. And um, when we hung up that call, actually, that was the impression I had. He didn't say, we're going to take you. We're interested. We might take you. He just said, well, that's all I need to know. And that was the end of the call. And I said, oh, well, maybe I'm coming back for a senior year then. And then um, no coach came down, nothing. My bullpen catcher actually came up to me, slapped me on the back and said, congratulations, you're a Diamondback now. And I was just kind of like, wait, really? (laughs) He didn't tell me he was going to take me or anything. And so um, it was a bit of a shock. But then once I kind of settled in and realized what was going on, I was like, this is really cool. This is one of those moments that I'm probably never going to forget. And I don't think I will. Yeah. What a full circle moment, right? I mean, a guy that coached you when you were a kid coming, I mean, that's pretty wild. Uh, You've had many moments like that. I've noticed just talking to you, you've got a couple, Hey, if something had gone this way, it would have been totally different. So uh, good that you continue making the decisions that you're making. It's, it's clearly uh, working out for you. Um, But when you got to the professional level, what were some of the biggest just adjustments and transitions you had to make, not only just in baseball, but also lifestyle wise, right? I mean, you're playing every single day, very, very different. Baseball is your job now. So what was that like going from college to the pros? Well, you have now predicted my next story because it is one of those uh, fork in the road moments. Um, I did terrible out the gates as soon as I got drafted. Uh, I pitched a lot my junior year and I had never, as I said, when I had gotten to that inning limit the last time, they shut me down for the summer. So I had never pitched past, I think it was like 60 some, 67 innings or so in a season. Um, And so when I got to pro ball at first, I was geared up, ready to go. They kind of gave us a little uh, onboarding period where they gave us about two weeks in Arizona, throw some bullpens, kind of get your feet wet again. And I got a little frustrated. I said, I'm I'm ready to go. I just came off a season. I don't need this. Ship me out now. Let's, let's do it. And so I did get shipped out. I went to Missoula, Montana. And when I got there, I was geared up, ready to go. Same exact thing. First two outings went great. And then right in the toilet, (laughs) just could not pitch after that to save my life. And um, it was what I didn't know at the time my body just had nothing left. I had not prepared it to go another 75 games after my college season. And I couldn't have really prepared for that anyways. It was kind of one of those things you just have to do it the first time and get used to it. But um, after I had my first two outings went well, my next few went really, really poorly. And my velocity was way down. I was, I was already thinking, you know what, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And my pitching coach, who I still tell him this to this day, if he hadn't pulled me aside, I probably would have been done after that first season. But he pulled me aside and said, look, I know where you came from. I know what the philosophy is like there. So I understand if you're not feeling your best, you're not going to say anything. But I'm asking you right now, 
how do you feel? And it was one of those things where I didn't quite realize it yet, but I looked at him and I said, I'm exhausted. I've got nothing left. It feels like my arm is just a noodle. And so he said, you know what? Okay. We've got a lot of pictures. I'm going to hide you for a couple of days. He said, I can probably get you 10 days off and I need you to get in work with the trainer, figure out how to get yourself feeling right. And then we'll go from there. And so that last outing, the reason he talked to me is my velocity in the game was 84 to 85 miles an hour. 10 days later, after I did, I worked with the trainer, got my body feeling right, kind of established a better routine and program. I was back up to 90, 92, my next few outings. And all of a sudden it was like, I, it was like I was in college again. I said, okay, I can do this. This is something I can do. I had underestimated myself, but now it's go time. And so um, Shane Lukes, I, I still tip my cap to him because I wouldn't have had a career without him. I would have been done right then and there. Well, I got to say that, you know, I think it's something that a lot of players don't really realize when they get to the pro level of it's almost like a shock. And to your point, you have to kind of go through it. And I think it's great that you have that mentorship. You have that guidance there right next to you. So you can kind of work your way through because going through it on your own, on your own, that's going to just have you going insane. Right. And I think that being able to have somebody there with you and kind of saying, Hey, I'll give you some time off, but you know, you're going to have to get back to it eventually. Um, Because I mean, it is a lot, right. And especially as a pitcher, you're using your arms so much and you're using that same action over and over and over again and especially when you're playing so much in the minors it's kind of hard to find any of that 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 rest time um now what part of your game and and what part of just your pitching overall do you feel has had to expand as you've continued to elevate through the minors and whatnot have you added any pitches that you didn't throw in college much actually um yes i have experimented a little more with usage as well so in college i would i threw a fastball a curveball and a changeup i think i threw four changeups in my entire college career though it was, um, it was one of those things we were never allowed to call our own pitches. Uh, I was only allowed to shake very briefly my last year. So it was pretty much what the coach called we threw and it worked. So no one really questioned it, but um, I was a very, very fastball dominant pitcher in college. And so I learned how to move it around, use it to the best of my ability, kind of get the most out of one pitch. And so when I got to pro ball, it was about learning how to use my secondary, how to throw a breaking ball, how to throw a breaking ball where I want it, how to make sure it's spinning properly and blending and make sure everything, no matter what pitch I'm throwing, it all looks the same coming out of my hand. So um, from the time I got drafted till about this spring training, it was fastball, curveball, changeup. And then um, as we started kind of diving into the analytics the more in the last year or so, um, our analytics director said, hey, you've got a good potential slider. You should you know, mess around with that, see what you can make of it. And so since spring training this year, um, and a little bit last year, mostly since spring training this year, uh, I started throwing a slider and actually pretty much exonated the curveball entirely because of that. It's, I find more success with the slider. It's easier to hide. I can place it a little bit better. So it's kind of been, you know, a bit of a, let's test this and see what works and let's try this and see if that works a little better. Um, even messed around with some splitters a couple of weeks ago, just to see, you never know what works with you and your arm slot. So um, I'm still very much fastball dominant. That's something that hasn't been my bread and butter, but learning how to use that secondary was the biggest, biggest thing I had to figure out. Yeah. A lot of guys I talk to say the same thing. You have to have that secondary pitch. And I hear also, and to your point, not throwing many changeups in, in college, right? You don't really have to, you can just overpower guys, especially if you've got a lot of speed and a lot of velocity. Once you get to the pro level, they want you throwing those pitches. Yeah. So you mix in those changeups a little bit. I think it, you know, again, it makes for a totally different, for a totally different story. Um, but Blake, you've been great to get on the show today, my friend, really enjoyed the time before I let you go. You might've already answered this question, but I'm going to answer, I'm going to ask it anyways, but it involves kind of an epiphany or realization as to when you knew you could play baseball at, at the professional level. So for you, when did that click? And you said, I can definitely make a career out of this. Ooh, that's a hard one. Cause I'll tell you what, there's one thing about being a professional and it's that you always kind of struggle with that. <laughs> it's the, am I good enough? Am I not? Um, 
I would say probably for me though, uh, it was when I was in low way, I had, um, I had a streak there where my stats were kind of dumb, um, where I went on a couple months where I think I gave up one run in several months. And it was just one of those things where I said, okay, this is what I'm doing now. And it's nothing crazy, but it's working. So if this is working now, imagine what I could do with a little development, a little time, a little more, you know, uh, maturity of what I could really do. And so I think it was probably right around 2019 in low way where I started to hit a little cruise control on the season. And I said, all right, this is, this is going to happen. I can at least make some kind of career out of this. Yeah. Well, you've definitely done that, my friend, and you've worked your way almost, you know, you're, you're knocking at the door of the major league. So I wish you nothing but luck moving forward, nothing but luck the rest of this season and uh, keep making those right decisions. Cause you're uh, right now, a hundred percent for the test. Nice job. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. And there he goes, Blake Workman, another fantastic episode today, everyone. Thanks for joining me here on the bench. Be sure to keep following and subscribing to Ride in the Pine on Apple and Spotify, and keep following on Twitter at Ride the Pine 20 RTP all capital, Instagram at riding underscore the underscore pine underscore, and on TikTok at Ride in the Pine all lowercase. For all of the latest updates on episodes and content to come, all 245 episodes are out now. Keep leaving those ratings and reviews. And again, folks, keep getting geared up for some more great content coming out down the road. Obviously, we've got football season right around the corner, so a lot of really, really, really good stuff down on the horizon there. And then, as always, we've got some great guests joining the show as well. So, as always, everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today. And until next time on Riding the Pine, keep on sitting the bench with me.